everybody and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast episode 88, How to Make Money Online. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us, there's a couple of ways that you could do that. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on that Patreon. There's only a couple of tiers, but the $3 tier will give you a shout out in the podcast and we'll share a link to your website in the uh, show notes. And probably the most important one is just to tell your friends and family that we're here and ready to be listened to, share this, get this out there. And if you or your friends and family are ready to go a step further, you can come check us out on our Discord server. We have hundreds of members in there now. Tons of people chatting away about different things in the programming world to so come hang out with us and chat about programming, TV, games, whatever else you'd like to talk about. But as always, we always got some weekly pain. So Mike, weekly pain point, take it away. All right. Uh, so like l- last week, I said I moved this week. So with moving comes lots of IKEA furniture. And I've been building IKEA furniture nonstop for the last three, four days, essentially. The first couple of days was pretty crazy. Like I had to build a bed. And I don't know if anyone's built IKEA beds before, but they're a pain, a huge pain. Uh, it took me like four or five hours or something it was insane i would just i would have just bought a bed frame man just a metal one and been like the hell with this like yeah i was i mean i did it and i'm happy i did it it was about a hundred screws in a bed frame yeah it's like a huge surface area like what are you screwing every couple of there's like what the hell yeah there's a lot of screws and there's like a bunch of structure it also has six drawers Oh, so, like so your side. thing is is more than a bed frame. It's like, yeah, it's is not it just a platform a bed, bed? It's is like a platform, it yeah. It's a platform with six drawers and then like a box spring built in. So it wasn't, it was a pretty interesting contraption uh, that's been built. But yeah, IKEA furniture is almost built. Place is looking much better. It's livable, quarantining, all the fun stuff. What's your pain point, Matt? Um, well, we'll, we'll uh, transition there. Uh, my weekly pain point is lack of communication and planning. I had a project sort of blow up on this. I'm not going to go into what the project was. I had a project kind of blow up on us uh, due to a major, major uh, lapse slash missing piece of our communication. And also a major lack of planning as a result of the lack of communication. So I'm not going to go further than that into that thing, but it's, uh, it's a mess. It's bad. And uh Yeah. Now, I will say, I, I've reported on this like three or four times now, but I will say that I am, I don't know whether I'm depressed, but I no longer get animated about things. Maybe I'm depressed. What, what a thing to say. What a thing. I don't, well, no, I don't but know I'm, I'm a little depressed. bit worried because I usually get fired up. I'm freaking out, but I just like read this. Everything blew up in our face and I was like, well, there it goes. Like as if I was <laughs> expecting it and I really wasn't. And I just like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm annoyed. You know, I've, like, sent Mike some text, but, like, in no way was I in a freakout mode. I'll rant a bit, sure, but I'm not, like, sweating, freaking the hell out, uh, like, whatever. So, I, think, I, I'm, I think I might be depressed. Yeah. I think the big thing is, is that none of our projects, other than maybe one, uh, really define our business right now. Yes. So, when, if one does blow up on our face, and this is on purpose, like, we did this purposely, uh... It's not a panic-inducing moment because we're still working on a like you know you know what I mean like that second you can go and start thinking about a different project and continue working and being paid and etc. So the diversification, not, yeah, yeah, the diversification definitely helps in that kind of scenario. So I think that's help, helping as well rather than the the depression. 
It also, well, I, I, I don't know if I'm actually depressed. I'm not actually sad, but I don't, I, it's weird for me not to get super, like, freaked out. Uh, maybe I'm just becoming one with the tech job. I don't know. Something's wrong with me. I don't know. Maybe, I don't, maybe there isn't something wrong with me. Maybe this is the way it goes. Uh, but anyway, stay tuned during this long path of depression, potentially. <laughs> A little scared. Like, I'm actually legitimately scared for myself. Oh, uh, we'll see. Because, like, well, because, like, we are. Everyone is in quarantine, too, so. That's, that's what, I, well, that's exactly what I was about to say is, there's been days now where I've been sitting there watching TV, just watching TV, and I look and I'm like, is it light out there? 7 a.m. And I've been up there up on all night. And I'm like, oh my god. And then I go to sleep and, like, basically pull a night shift. But then sometimes that night I get super tired, so I fall asleep and then wake up at, like, 9 or 10. And then I just work a regular day the next day. So, like, actually, actually, seriously, and I'm sure this is the same with a bunch of people, all sense of days and time are gone. Like, they're gone. That's it. It's it's over. It's already (laughs) over. Like, after this, I might start, like, a whole new project. And not finish till tomorrow at 11 a.m. Like, I don't have no idea what's going to happen. It's to that degree. Sometimes I'm ex- last night I was exhausted at 7 p.m. for some reason. What if I- you just don't look... What if we just all collectively stop looking at watches and calendars? What would happen? Would that be a good thing for We'd the world? We'd probably go mad. I think we might go mad. Why? I don't know. No, there would be no planning. I will say this, though. I will say this. If you do not have a clock in your bedroom, you will sleep better. That is actually a fact. Is a phone count? If the if you can okay, it, it it's a matter of seeing the time itself. So for example, I will set mine I will now set my Google Home to tell me or to wake me up at a certain time. And then even though there's not a battery backup, nothing's really like super critical. If it is super critical, I'll use my phone instead. I don't know why my computer just woke up beside me. But anyway, um if I do not have a clock on where I can see it. I fall asleep faster, and I fall asleep, like, I re-fall asleep if I wake up better. So if you wake up, and I look, and I'm like, damn, I got 10 minutes left, I automatically try to, like, wake myself up. But now, I fall asleep, I don't even know what time it is, and I just go back to sleep until the alarm. And I actually do sleep, like, way better. Now... Matt life hack right there. A little Matt life hack, but, like, I, I took it from somewhere, like, I read it somewhere or something, and it actually does work. I've done a few nights with a clock... And a few nights without a clock, and the the nights without a clock absolutely are better. Like at least at least forty forty fifty percent better. So, just take that, give it a go. Like just as long as you have an alarm, who cares? You know. Um. But yeah. Okay. So that's a long weekly pain point little section there. But uh, we got a pretty pretty big episode there. Uh, pretty big episode here. It's uh, it's all gonna be about making money online and how to do so. Now I know this is gonna be a popular topic. Um, but, uh, well, I'll probably talk for a good reason due to this quarantine stuff, but uh, I'm just going to rip through your segments and then I'm going to go through, uh, each of the, or go through the headings of the segments, excuse me. And then I'm going to go through the actual segments themselves. So the first one is going to be, uh, how, how do you make money online? What's the different methods? You know, what's it all about kind of thing. And the segment number two is I'm going to be exploring the different ways that I touch on in segment number one. So ways to make money online and then the third segment is going to be a general note slash advice so just some general things that i thought up as i wrote uh, the notes for the second segment just some things that you should kind of keep in mind when working online and in some cases working anywhere okay so let's jump in here here into segment number one how to how do you make money online so with so many people stuck at home uh, and out of work these days uh, making money online sounds like a really attractive proposition 
So this episode will actually be focused on less traditional ways to make money. So for example, I'll be avoiding things like if you normally work in an office and you're just working from home now, I'm just going to be avoiding those. And I'm going to be sticking with things that I'm calling internet brew businesses. So stuff where, you know, now and years back, if you typed in, how do I make money online? These type of these type of businesses, these type of ideas showed up. So for example, an influencer is sort of an online business or how to make money online. So if you've ever Googled how to make money online, you'd uh, have no doubt been bombarded by tons of different methods that promise to make you, you know, a thousand a week, a hundred a week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And some of these methods include surveys, uh, affiliate marketing, freelancing. So this includes various markets like if you're a freelance tutor, if you're being a virtual assistant to a few people, if you're selling a service with digital goods as a deliverable, or even physical goods, if you you know conduct the actual business online and then you ship the goods out, that's considered, in my opinion, a freelancer. A copywriter, if you're writing copy for yourself or for another person. Uh, well, actually, I guess it wouldn't be for yourself, but it'd be for another person. If your blog hires you and say, hey, you know, I need you to write an instruction booklet on this, and we're going to have a how-to blog on this. You know, There you go. That You're being a freelancer. And there's tons and tons and tons of different things in there. In addition to all of that, there's also podcasts, there's also blogs, and there's also being an influencer, which I've already mentioned, which, you know, generally will involve several of these other methods like affiliate marketing or other monetizations that they'll do. Well, many of these methods advertise the aforementioned salaries or earnings that would take your money online making to the forefront of your household income. So maybe overtake your uh, job that you were laid off from because of this whole COVID thing, or maybe it would actually, you know, you, you do it as a side hustle and then bam, you know, becomes your actual full income. It's important to note that these results will, will, okay, all in caps here in the notes, all will 100% of the time vary. And it's rarely, and I should have capitalized that rarely, if ever easy to get a good amount or any money going at all. Now that's not to discourage you. That's just to be realistic because every business is like this and online businesses are really no different. There's some little differences, obviously due to their medium and the fact that they're online, but in reality, they still need a grind. They still need some, some work put into them. There's a lot of work put into them. They still need dedication. So for example, a pro blogger uh, article from 2012 stated that 10% of bloggers make 0% or $0. 28% okay, of bloggers make $10. And 25% make $10 to $99. Now, this is a, you know, relatively medium-ish sample size. It was 1,500 uh, pro blogger readers surveyed. So as you can see, there are a lot of bloggers out there that are, you know, that are monetized, but just aren't living on their earnings. And what are we talking about? We're talking over 50% because 28%, 25%, and then another 10%, right? So we're talking a lot of bloggers here are not making good amount of money. You're not, you're not living off of $99. That's just not going to happen. So I'm going to have a link to this article specifically in our show notes, just so you guys can look at it. Uh, it'll explain all their numbers and they have some other, a bunch of other stuff in there. And pro bloggers sort of like a, a source, if you will, just as an aside for if you were interested in doing the blogging portion of uh, one of these jobs. Now, I'm going to actually jump into the second segment here, ways to make money online, If, uh, unless Mike has any other comment. Yeah, so with all these numbers and with like the, you know, the promised $1,000 a week or $100 a day, I think you, you made a good point saying that uh, these are, I don't even know if you can call them estimates. <laughs> I think these are just number catching, like like, you know, just to catch you to start doing whatever they want you to do. So take always take numbers like that with a grain of salt. Uh, obviously, something that comes to mind is like a lot of pyramid schemes. That's what they're going to try to get you in at. 
with these like, you know, make money online, make $1,000 a day or $1,000 a week. That's usually the start of a pyramid scheme. So, you know, be very, very, very apprehensive when you're getting into a, a something like that. I think the main thing, the main takeaway from maybe this episode or maybe just just learning how to make money and stuff like that is do something, do it like, you know, do do something, do it really, really well, do something that you're passionate about and try to gain an audience. And I think Matt will talk about that. And I think that applies to almost every method of making money, almost not, not all, not all of them, but almost every method is like, try to gain an audience based on your passion. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I'll get into like talking about niches and stuff like that within passions and that type of thing in, in the second segment here. But I do want to, I don't want to follow up your comment with something as well. So those numbers that you often see the thousand dollars a day or a thousand dollars a week, hundred dollars a day, whatever they they're advertising are oftentimes they're very, um, headlined, if you will. So for example, and this is maybe a little bit morbid, but I'm just going to say it. We've had official, we've had official government Ontario medical models given for how many people are going to die from COVID-19 in our area, for in our province. And the actual model stated that if we did not do anything, I believe it said there would be 100,000 model deaths in Ontario and here in Canada. Now, since we are doing something, the medical model projects a much lower number range of 3,000 to 15,000, I believe. Now, please, I'm doing this from memory, so please verify those numbers. But the point is, the news is going to attach themselves to either the 15,000 or the 100,000 and put that in their headline. Because those are going to be the, the things that grab you, the things that get you the click. And it's the same with these methods. If somebody is doing surveys and making a ridiculous $200 a day, they're absolutely going to be putting that in their, uh, in the title of their link, in the title of their Google ad. Uh, they'll actually put that as their slogan sometimes or something. That's ab- They're going to use that model, that clickability, and it's not lying, right? It's not lying, to be clear, but that's what they're going to use. So just keep that in mind and make sure you do your research. And, that, and that'll actually come up again as a point later in, in another segment here. So segment number two, then, is uh, ways to make money online. So I got several methods that I've written down. I'm just going to go through the actual headings, and then I'll actually go into them. So the first one here is surveys. Second one's going to be affiliate marketing. Uh, The third one here is going to be freelancing. The next one's going to be blogs. And the next one is podcasts, followed uh, immediately and finally by being an influencer. So not in any particular order, just sort of spread out there. So surveys. Now, there are many services out there that offer surveys to their members, and in return for answering those surveys, the members get a reward of some sort. And these can include things like prepaid prepaid credit cards, PayPal cash, uh, gift cards to various outlets, maybe a check, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's up to these websites. And many surveys just pay a few dollars or even pennies sometimes, but some can offer, uh, you know, a little more depending on how in-depth they are. You can make a fair bit of money from doing surveys online, but a lot of time and effort is required, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Paid surveys are often much more involved than just checking off some boxes, they're t- and they're, tepi- they're typically excuse me, filled with pages of information that you'll need to fill in. And on top of this, you'll need to do several surveys a day in order to be paid. Now, the reason why I mention this is because a lot of people are probably thinking surveys, that's easy. I've done surveys. Yeah, but you probably weren't paid for them. Or if you were, they were those Google surveys from the Google Rewards app or whatever it's called. And you were paid, you know, a 10 cents or something like that. And if you're a part of that app, so if you don't know, there's an app where you do Google surveys and you get a little bit of Google Play credit towards your stuff. And that's what I use to rent movies, for example. So that 
that those surveys will, if they're if they have one question, will maybe pay you you know a dime. But if they have four, five, six, seven, eight questions, sometimes they'll even pay you up to a dollar. But those are few and far between. So these paid survey things are usually scaled up from that. Obviously, this these Google ones are meant for a quick one. But the point is, is that scale and difficulty is exactly what you're going to see here. If some if someone's going to pay you ten dollars to fill out a survey, it's going to be a big freaking survey. You may have to look up numbers. You're going to have to like calculate things. You're going to have to maybe verify some stuff. It's going to be a big, big, big undertaking. Now, you might be wondering why doing something as simple as a survey overall would make you money. And really, the answer is simple. Companies need information in droves in order to make marketing plans, in order to identify which products people need, etc., etc., etc. And in the current landscape, okay, we, uh, in the current landscape, we give a lot of our information already out on things like social media, creating accounts on various services that require information to be filled, filled out, you know, on GPS apps. So sometimes they'll track us and they'll be like, hey, he likes pizza restaurants. So when you drive to a new town, they're like, hey, there's a big pizzeria here. It's got a good rating. Why don't you go check it out? Or hey, you know, you normally like shopping at antique shops. There's an antique shop in this town. Go check it out. Those type of things. So there's all, we already give out information without actually doing surveys. And that's just because the, our devices are always on us and we're always connected now as a, as a, a society, if you will. However, only only so much of this information can be gathered automatically from services like the ones I just mentioned. So surveys allow you to actually sit down and give concrete numbers to things or give an opinion on a product or products in great detail. This is very valuable information if, for example, a manufacturer of a, of a device is looking to iterate on a product. You know, do the people like the color? Do they like do they like that it's soft plastic? Do they like that it's grippy? Is it too slippery? Is it should it be made of glass? Should it be made of plastic? Should it be this? Should it be recyclable? Are people upset about this? Are they not upset about this? They need to know so then they can make the two of whatever they're making. So that this type of information, this is why they pay for it, because they don't want to go out, spend a billion dollars or something crazy on iterating on a product and then make like like $15 in sales. That's really going to hurt them. So by them spending a hundred grand giving giving tons of these surveys giving out money to all these survey doers if they're going to pay you know pay 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 out to these people there's even if they're even if their next product is like a mediocre one they're still going to save a lot of losses because they're going to have the information they're going to have known like hey this is probably what the people want it's still a little bit of a guessing game but them paying out that initial amount can still save them if it's a big company like a billion plus dollars so this is why they do it so one one thing i want to chime in here with surveys is i have a feeling that surveys are going to be a bigger deal as we move towards a more secure future where Facebook, Google, they make all their money right now on being able to track you. If we ever get to the point, and I believe Europe is getting there pretty quickly, where that tracking will be illegal um, and you'll have to opt in or something like that, they're going to lose a lot of their information. And their entire product runs on pure information. Like to be able to sell advertising spots, they need all that information on their users. So I think surveys will will come in in play with more money and more opportunities for people. So maybe it's something to keep an eye on. The other reason that I think that as well is the economy is moving in a different direction nowadays. Um, Basic income, like we've been talking, you know, politicians have been talking about universal basic income. Automation is coming into play. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be relying on online income, on income, non-standardized income. And I think surveys will be part of that. I don't know if they're going to be traditional surveys or if it's going to be like allow tracking. And based on your allow tracking, you get a certain amount of money 
per company that you allow them to track, allow to track you. Like stuff like that will be companies will have to be innovative to get people's information rather than just, you know, blast everyone with trackers and hope for the best, hope that there's no regulation because regulation's coming. It's just a matter of time. Um, so some people will have to adapt. So I think surveys or something like it will be a bigger thing in the future. That's that, that's a really good that's a really good point is it's almost like surveys used to be the way to gain gain information or get information online and then smartphones and smart homes started kind of taking off and then now they can just do it automatically but you're right with things now with the legislation the government's catching up they'll have to probably rely on surveys and to be to be blunt there's a lot of because the online the online selling game whatever it is whether you're selling phone cases or whatever is so big now surveys are going to be a big i could see them make having a bit of a renaissance either now or because i'm not really you know attached to this industry in any way but either now or they will be having a sort of renaissance if you will because companies are going to realize like wait i was just gathering information automatically but these surveys are more than likely much more valuable and they'll allow allow these people even just something as simple as a smartphone maker a smart smartphone case maker even to just to just figure out like hey you know our edges were too sharp we need to like do a little, a little bit of sanding on here, and that'll go along. That will go a long way. Once the once the reviewers pick up that case, bam, you know the influencers get it, and like we're gonna touch talk about influencers soon, and the influencers get it and it fixes. So all of this online stuff really ties in together. But I think you're right on that, where the surveys I think are gonna receive a bit of a renaissance, if you will. They're gonna kind of surge back into more popularity. Uh, then the next thing here is uh, affiliate marketing. Now, this type of marketing generally uh, goes hand in hand with uh, another type of online business, like a blog or something like that, for example. Anything really uh, that gets people's attention and more importantly, you know, clicking on stuff. And I'll get that into that in a second here. So, you know, generally uh, affiliate marketing involves, you know, surprise, surprise, becoming an affiliate of a certain brand or a website and then selling something on their behalf. So, for example, if you're an Amazon affiliate and you have a popular podcast on gardening, you might have you know, might have some affiliate links for gardening tools. And when someone clicks on one of your links and then buys that product, you'll gain a commission from Amazon for helping them with the sale. So you've effectively been their salesman or marketer in this case, hence affiliate marketing. Now, as mentioned earlier, generally you have generally you need to have a platform of sorts in order to have an actual audience to market to. Like like I said, a blog or podcast or something like that. If you put an affiliate link on a blog with no readers, then there's no one to buy the product that you're affiliated to. Now, with that said, there are a bunch out there, of course, innovators, clever entrepreneurs, if you will, that have figured out ways of getting their affiliate links in front of thousands of eyes through things like maybe social media ads or other innovative methods. And at the end of the day, you need people, you know, at the end of the day, you need people to click the link. Okay, you need people to click the link. They need to buy the thing that the link leads them to. So short of breaking any sort of law or short of breaking the terms of service that you signed, use your imagination on how to get more clicks. That's what these entrepreneurs have basically done. They figured out, hey, I'm going to pay 10 cents a click. And when I buy this, I get, you know, $50 in commission. So how many people, how many people do I need to get this in front of in order to get a purchase? Oh, look, I'm now, I'm now profitable. Let's buy a whole bunch of ads on social media or whatever they're doing, right? That's, that's sort of the innovations that I'm talking about. 
Now, many, many websites, okay, not just Amazon, many websites offer affiliate programs that are free to join. Uh, so you're not really limited to just things like Amazon, like I said. So if you, for example, are writing things about local events, many online ticket sales vendors will actually offer an affiliate program. And so you can put a, hey, you know, this is the event happening in Hamilton or something and click here to get tickets. And if someone clicks there to get tickets and actually buys the tickets, you will get a piece of that or however the affiliate programs work. Always read those you know, terms of service and how you get paid and that type of thing before you just jump into these things but that's generally what will happen you'll get a piece of that ticket sale or get a fixed commission or you know whatever that particular vendor chooses so an interesting thing with affiliate marketing is it it's a it's a no cost way to support people that um you want to support so influencers that you want to support uh or you know up and coming influencers whatever if they have affiliate links uh and you don't particularly want to you know join their Patreon or whatever, and you're looking for the item that they're advertising, you can click on that link, buy that item for the exact same price that you would have bought it on Amazon regardless, and they'll get a portion of that income. Uh, so it's a no no cost to you way of supporting someone. Um, I think it's a pretty good marketing strategy for both sides. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a big supporter of affiliate marketing, as long as it's clear. Like I, I always want to make sure that someone's not just putting like a random link in in there like if they're hiding the fact that they're affiliate marketing because some people don't want to do the affiliate then that's their choice but you should be telling like hey this is an affiliate link and mo- most most people do but just watch out for the people that don't if you're particular about uh you know supporting them or not um but yeah that's it, it's it's a good way to make money and it's a good way to support someone 100 percent. and if you were going to buy that product anyway you're not you the consumer aren't paying that commission they're just basically getting paid commission as a salesman would. So generally speaking, the product, the ticket, whatever it is, isn't going to be more money to you, the consumer. It's just a little bit of your sale, a little bit of the profits, however, again, however the vendor works, is going to go to the affiliate. So 100%. And, we, and we've had affiliate links in the past, and we, we, we've you know tried to state every single time, hey, these are affiliate links. We're going to get a monetary kickback. This is how this, is, this, is how this works, basically. Uh, so moving on to freelancing then. So freelancing is probably the closest, I'd say, to quote-unquote traditional work, as I mentioned in the first segment. Um, and de- actually definitely the closest to traditional work out of all of the different options that I have in this segment, I'd say. Uh, basically, if you're freelancing, you're offering services or goods in exchange for money uh, or some other payment. And you could be something like a copywriter for a website. You could even do physical goods. You could make crafts and sell them uh, to order for clients. So they call you on Etsy or they uh, message you or they request uh, something to be built on Etsy, for example, or some other marketplace, or even on Facebook just by messaging. And then you make that craft for them and send it to them. You know, you're a freelancer. Uh, you know, be a graphic designer. That's a big one. That's a big, big thing in, in terms of freelancing online. You can also become someone's virtual, uh, virtual assistant. So you, you know, maybe you just, you work your regular nine to five, but you're the virtual assistant for four or five people. That's very possible. Some people are really good at it and that's what they'll do. Uh, you can also translate. So translating text is, is, is also a popular one. You can translate stuff. So if you, if you know of a, uh, of a, well, of recently one of my articles actually that I, that I wrote was translated into, I believe it was Spanish and to be put on a Spanish site. I gave permission for that and someone translated it. So if you're a person that can translate, you know, there's a little bit of a market there for you as well. So stuff like that. And, and this obviously goes on and on and on. There's tons of stuff you can do. Again, use that, use that entrepreneur mind, mindset and figure out, you know, what can I offer online kind of thing. I saw tarot card readings, multiple people offering online tarot card readings for, because of the, everyone's in quarantine and can't go to like the business itself so like there's there's a big market it's all over the place so 
in general, okay, freelancing means that you're not employed by any one company. You bounce around from job to job, typically in the same field, but you could jump from, I don't know, different ones like graphic design or to copywriting to whatever the heck you want. But basically, you're self-employed with no loyalty to any one customer or company. That's basically how it is. Now, you might be like, well, you know what? This this definition seems to be moving a little bit as we go on, and, and that is true. So to me, anyway, the term freelancer is a little bit fluid, and this especially and this is especially true when it comes to online entrepreneurs. So for example, even though Mike and I own a own and operate a web agency, Digital Dynasty Design, we still consider ourselves freelancers because we're independent and we work for a variety of customers. While some, okay, would not consider us freelancers because we have this web agency, we. And, and have an established business, we, you know, we do because we have so many, like we've already talked about the diversification of our business. We have so many different customers, different projects all around Webflow, you know, whatever, typo, everything, web apps, apps, the whole shebang, Chrome apps, everything. So we're all over the place. And so we'd have that like bounce around mentality. So that's it. I would say if we get really big and we make it so we're like, we're only making WordPress sites, then I, then at least in my personal definition, we're no longer a freelancer. Although we kind of are because we're bouncing around. So do you see how it's like fluid there? It's, it, it moves around a lot. And that's, that's sort of why I, the definition has changed throughout the episode. Now, in terms of making money online, if you have a service or a talent that you'd like to offer someone over the internet, even if it involves you shipping goods to them, then you can be a freelancer. So there's freelancer marketplaces like Guru or Freelancer.com, I think, um, or just there's or you can just be a freelancer. Like you could go on social media, post that you have something for sale, and people could maybe, you know, hey, I want to buy this table from you, or hey, I want to buy this from you, or hey, I want to buy this hat from you, and can you make more of these hats? Can you make these stickers? Can you be a graphic artist for this? You can do all kinds of things. Basically, you're a freelancer. You're bouncing around. You're a freelancer. So one thing with freelancing that I've noticed uh, a trend over the past few years, maybe, is I think it's better to be a more specialized freelancer in ter- in terms of if you want to get consistent work and if you want to be able to actually, you know, use your time wisely rather than like a general, I'm going to use web development as an example because that's what I know. So if you if you put yourself out there as like, I'm a web dev freelancer, period, uh, the amount of stuff you're going to get like, hey, can you build me a site for $50 or can you build me, you know, a site for $100 and then those clients... The amount of that kind of stuff you're going to get is going to be pretty high. Whereas if you say, hey, I'm a WordPress developer specializing in e-commerce implementations and installations or something even more specific, like I specialize in e-commerce for clothing brands. I think that's where you find your niche and that's where you find your consistent user base and that's where you find your like repetition because – as a freelancer, you want to have a, you still want a consistent income and you want a good income, uh, and you want to be able to predict your projects. So, like, if a person comes, if a client comes to you and is like, "Hey, I need a," you know, if you're an e-commerce WordPress freelancer and he tells you, "Hey, I need an e-commerce WordPress site," you know, you've done it 10, 15, 20 times. You know how long that's going to take. You know how much you can make off that, and you know how much when your next project is going to be. Essentially, uh, I think that's the way to go. And I'm not saying that that's exactly what we did. But we did find our best freelancing gig and the one that, you know, continually pays out uh, through that kind of implementation. We decided to go into Chrome apps and Chrome extensions, and we advertise ourselves as Chrome app and Chrome extension experts. And that's what got us our freelancing gig. And that turned into a more of a contract gig and more of an employment and stuff like that. But essentially, that's 
that's where I see it going. And that's where I, that's where I kind of suggest people to go into, try to find your thing. Like if you're really good at scaffolding a website, like getting a design from, from Photoshop and then making that website, maybe, you know, find the keywords, find the right implementation of your skills and do that. Just keep pumping those out as much as possible. Now, the arguments to be made, like maybe you're, you're, you're stagmenting your learning, but this is all about making money. I think that's how you make the money. 100%. It, it's literally a factory. A factory doesn't constantly innovate its process to make, a, make an item. Certainly, there's innovations that are made, but those are made slowly and calculated because they know, oh, wait, this will save us a million dollars over a year. But the the uh, the real strength of a factory producing things, or in this case, you producing things, a service or a good, is the speed. Can you quickly, quickly, quickly bang this out? You know, if if, if you're going to get paid a, a handsome amount for per website and you're able to do that website in a day, you're going to get paid more overall. You're going to get paid five times a week if you work five days a week. If you take eight months to do one website, you're only going to get paid one time in eight months. So just that's there's literally straight up math, right? Straight up math. Um, Moving on to podcasts then. So you're listening to one right now. So uh, I hope so podcasts are a huge market uh, with new shows popping up every day. Many podcast hosts get into the game to make money online. So however, it can be a real long road to monetization. Uh, They can be monetized in a variety of ways, whether through ads that play or are read by the host on the show itself. Um, or through episodes, you know, covering specific topics. Sometimes a company will pay you to cover a certain topic like, hey, Talk about my product on your episode. Have an episode focused on my product or my service. You know, they can absolutely do that. They can sponsor an episode. Now, you can also bring other more indirect methods into it, like talking about a product and then having uh, your audience buy that product or at least attempt to have them buy that product by using an affiliate link that links to that particular product. So if we start talking about, I don't know, I'm looking at a mouse right now. So they're talking about a computer mouse and we love it so much. We can be like, hey, there's an affiliate link in the thing. If you really want to buy this mouse, you know, it'll support us. Go buy this, go buy this mouse. So we can absolutely do that. And we have done that with a couple of our, I think, equipment episodes in the earlier, in the earlier days. Now, because podcasts are such a big market these days, it can be very difficult to get noticed. And just like blogging, which I'm, which, uh, did I, did I already do blog? No, you skipped it. I skip blogging. Right, skip. All right, right well, over. that's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into blogging. Don't worry about it. But anyway, so just like blogging, which I'll get into in a minute, apparently, um, this almost requires that you find a niche so that you'll stand out. It's also very important. I mean, very important to remember that it's difficult to get people to do an action. And I'll explain that. So if you get a thousand listens on your episode, chances are you'll get less than one hundred clicks on an affiliate link and even fewer purchases than that. Now, all audiences vary, of course. People vary, absolutely. But with that in mind, okay, sometimes monetizing with no additional action can seem rather lucrative. So those ads that are played during the episode, the user is already listening to the show. So by them hearing hearing the ad, you've monetized that free user, and there's been no nothing. There's been no... Uh, other action that they have to take. They're already there and they've been monetized at that point. Now, this assumes you're being paid for impressions and it also assumes you have a lot of impressions a lot like this. So this is why you have to play the balancing game. If your affiliate links are paying you $1,000 a buy or something crazy, you're selling something real big and and your audience hates ads, sometimes you got to go to the affiliate route. But sometimes you got to monetize those free people. If no one's buying anything, you got to monetize those free people have ads in there. Or sometimes you can do both. 
So you, this is where the business like sense comes in. This is where some experimentation. It's okay to like piss your audience off one week and be like, okay, guys, whoa, no big deal. You know, communicate with your community. Sorry, we'll do it this way. That's just the way it has to be. You have to do some testing. You have to do that. That's the way it is. Yeah. Podcasts are an interesting route these days. Um, and it's a little bit difficult from uh, like I, I've been I've been in some podcast communities and I've talked to some other creators uh, that do podcasts and their f- friction point and their main like pain point is convincing advertisers that impressions are important because advertisers want to see clicks. That's how it's worked for so long. You know what I mean? And they don't understand that people don't like listening to an hour long podcast aren't going to be able or usually want to click on anything that you're going to be providing them. It's going to be a very low click through rate. Um, like that's just from experience. Like it's a very, very low click through rate, but there's not much to be, there's much more to be said about the fact that you're putting a product in their mindset and in their ear because the more you talk about something, you know, Maybe it won't be immediate immediate action, but maybe, you know, a week down the line, two weeks down the line, when they need to use that product or when they need that product, they have it in their ear because they listened to an hour-long podcast and someone mentioned that product and talked about it for more than like a second. Because when you're looking at a click, click-through ad, that's usually like one second of a person's time. They're not going to have that in their mind very often. But a, a person that talks about it through a podcast is a value add. And that's what podcasters are having a very hard time convincing advertisers of that combined with another factor right now podcasts have you know exploded in popularity and because of that especially now because of the uh, quarantine a lot of very famous people like already established actors already established sports you know like athletes and celebrities have started creating their own podcasts and they're bringing their massive audiences into the podcast market and their numbers are huge compared to all the other niche podcasts. So advertisers, big advertisers, are flocking to them and kind of leaving out the smaller guys out to dry um, with advertising money because they're like, listen, this guy, whatever famous actor or celebrity, is getting, you know, 5 million listens an episode and we're paying him, you know, 10 cents an impression or whatever. And it's working out great for us. Um, we're going to pay you the same amount that we pay him because we're going to, you know, it's, it's whatever one cent an impression, however much it is. I don't know how much it is. Uh, but if for you, your audience is much smaller because you're not a celebrity, like something most of the time, if you're starting a podcast, you're not going to be a celebrity, but your audience is very concentrated and it's very attentive compared to that massive celebrities audience. So they should be treated differently. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not complaining or anything. I'm just saying podcasts are a more complicated topic in terms of monetization at this point because they're so early. I think there will be a better method soon. I think we're getting there. I think there are there are, you know, companies in place that are trying to make it better. I think Podchaser uh has some sort of, you know, method in place for app for monetization, but I'm not sure. Anyway, there are there are things that are being tried in the podcast sphere, but right now it's a little bit tough to you know, go into podcasts and be like, I need to make money. I think podcast is a better way to generate an audience than it is to make money at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I'd agree with that, like, full-heartedly. Uh, there's definitely some experimentation going on in the space since it is, like, a newer a newer mainstream space, I'd say. And there's Anchor and, you know, Pod Podbean themselves and, you know, a whole bunch of other places are trying 
you know, pre-roll ads and that type of thing where the, the actual per- person, so the person recording the actual episode, if they're, you know, pre-celebrity status can have like a d- dynamic ad like you would on like a, like a website where you just put like your Google ad in there. There's some, you can put some dynamic ad spots. The same with Anchor. Anchor has those where if, if there's a, an ad that could be played there, it, it'll do it. If not, it'll just play the episode. So there's definitely a lot going on in the space. You're right there. And we're slowly but surely kind of getting there. And we're slowly but surely. It's just sort of like YouTube. Like YouTube sort of has, you know, there's obviously innovations coming down the pipe as there always is. But for the most part, we know how we're monetizing YouTube. And that's just how it is for now. So podcasts just, I think, have yet to hit that. And podcasts are also weird because they're hosted on different services it's weird that big companies haven't jumped on this because it's like they're hosted on different services. They're hosted by RSS feed. You can host your own RSS feed. Then you can get on Apple podcast. It's one of those weird things where I can't like host my music and then go to iTunes and be like, Hey, just, just use my file. Like play my file. They're going to be like, no, submit my file. Like submit your MP3. If you want to sell your music here, like, what are you doing? Whereas podcast is opposite. It's like, please, please host your own crap. However you do that, whether you use Podbean or another service out there, you know, please use, please use another service and then just give us the RSS and we'll just pull it in and that's all we'll do. So podcasts are weird and that's probably why there's a bit of a delay in terms of their monetization because it is strange. Like Podcorn is a new thing too. It, it's all over the place. There's a whole bunch of stuff out there. Now, going back, because I did this in perfect order, blogs. So... Uh, blogging is a popular way, of course, to make money online. I'm sure you've heard of it. Everyone knows about it. You know, start a blog and put ads on there, you know, whatever. It involves, obviously, writing a blog post on a chosen topic in order to build up a following or an audience for your writing. And typically, a standout, typically to stand out, because there are so many other blogs out there, you'll need to select a niche, okay, so that you, so that you actually become a, an authority an authority and a standout in your particular audience. So what I mean by that is if you did something like what's something super, super popular, um, I don't know what choose something popular, like movies. If you wanted to be a movie reviewer and you want to be a movie reviewer, you go in there and you review movies. There's tons of people doing movie reviews and it's going to be very hard to stand out. Now you can stand out by doing a unique format and a unique, those type of things. Those are those innovations, those entrepreneurial innovations that I've mentioned, but in general, it is still going to be difficult to get people to click on your Deadpool review or whatever the heck you are. But if you do a niche, like you do something like I only review uh, horror films of, of, like foreign horror films, for example, you only do like Japanese horror films. You only do like horror films from these particular countries. You might be an authority on that. So you're going to become more professional at doing those particular movies. You're going to be able to stand out more, more than likely. And people who really love that genre, like if they just love Japanese horror films, they're going to jump right on. They're going to jump right on and follow your RSS uh, your RSS feed or add you to their Feedly, or they're going to follow your blog or however that, however you're getting your stuff out on your blog, which I'll get into and how to do that in a minute. However, you're getting your stuff out there. That is where your audience is really going to, you know, really going to come from. Now, once you get that audience established, you can monetize and you can monetize in a variety of ways, something like ads, maybe affiliate marketing, et cetera, et cetera. This is where all these things start to meld together. And most of the time, bloggers will use their own website or blog. However, there are a variety of services, okay, that you can use, that bloggers can use if you want to just get your stuff out there quick and you don't want to worry about hosting and making your own website and all this other stuff. That includes WordPress. Now, not the self-hosted version, WordPress.com. That includes Blogger, which is also a bit of an older one, so I don't really know what its status is at the moment, and Medium. So Medium's a bigger one right now. 
Now, I'll kind of do a specific point on Medium because that's what we use. So, in the case of Medium, you get a full suite of tools for writing and even for monetization. So, you get to write your own content for your own profile that you signed up for, that you set up. Uh, You can even add your work to a publication if you want to add it to an existing publication that's on Medium. So, like a digital magazine of some sorts. You can even make your own publication. doesn't matter. Um... You can, uh, your readers can, you know, find you, so they can find you on there via the homepage or find you on there via your name if they search you. They can uh, follow you, so that if they read your article because it was on the homepage, they don't know who you are, but they really liked your writing style, they can follow you all right there. Um, or, you know, they can even follow your uh, your publication if that's, if that's what they're into. And if you're looking to start up a brand and you do that and people can follow your publication, they can follow you, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these social media tools and all this is sort of built into something like Medium where they're all ready to go. Now, monetization, because I mentioned it, if you're in the Medium Partner Program, hopefully I'm calling that the correct title, but the Medium Partner Program, you can actually lock your story behind a paywall. So this paywall be, will be for medium members only, uh, and some, and the general public gets a certain amount of, a uh, certain amount of free articles, uh, or p- premium articles, if you will, for free, uh, per month, I believe. I think it's four or five, something like that. Uh, but medium members will, you know, be able to you know, view as many as they want, and you will get paid as the writer of one of these stories that you've locked behind this paywall. You will get paid for the reads. So I've received, I think, a dollar or something, which I forfeited because I didn't do all the, there's a whole bunch of like, you know, stuff you have to fill in as an affiliate. And I just didn't do that. But the point is, I could have made a dollar right there. And if I was big into blogging, because we're not massive into it, our podcast is the biggest thing by far. If we were big into blogging, you can see how those numbers can really add up. I do know someone who's easily made $250 off of a single article just because they went a little bit viral and they were in a niche. They were in cybersecurity. So kind of look at Medium, see what's trending you know, use their tags, you, you know, read stuff on medium, absorb content on medium. And I would suggest you become a medium member yourself if you want to be on medium and you can go through and you can do this. Now, the thing, the thing is too, is if you, you know, feel free to experiment. You don't have to, you don't have to be on one of these things forever. If you make, if you, if you use self-hosted WordPress and you hate it because you just can't do it. And then you go on medium and your, your audience follows you, or you gain an audience on medium. You can just go on medium. If you start on medium and you hate it and you want to go self-hosted or you want to go to blogger or you want to go to someplace else or just wordpress.com, go ahead. You can absolutely bounce around. You can just, you can start writing here, go over here, go over here, go over here, etc. So that's sort of you know, experiment with your stuff. And, 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 and all you're going to be doing is, is honing your craft. You're going to get faster at writing. You're going to get better at writing. That's just the way it is. And then your articles are going to get better and better and better. You're going to find out what people like, what they don't. And then you'll be able to gain an audience all over the place. And that'll be one of my points. I believe in the third segment about how you can kind of be everywhere and bring your audience around. And again, I'll touch on that in a later segment. Uh, now I'm going to move on to again, in perfect order, being an influencer, unless Mike has any comments on blogging. Shaking his head no, so we're going to go right into being an influencer. So one of the oldest ways of monetizing, okay, is being an influencer. But the internet, in particular, has completely changed this game. So sports, movie, TV, and other stars, right, have been influencers since the dawn of fame as we know it because they can endorse products and, and as a result, have a bunch of their fans buy those products, right? So, you know, having some, some sports guy endorse... I remember Steve Nash endorsed MDG computers, for example, and so I guess Steve Nash fans would go buy MDG computers. That's a that's a bit of a weird one, but anyway, like like you know what I mean. That's the point of it, right? Anyone who's a big fan of Steve Nash would be like, "Damn!" and they just go 
buy, you know, buy an MDG computer now whenever they need a computer. So stuff like that. But when it comes to the internet, okay, you don't need to be a sports star, movie star, TV star. Influencers are all over the place, okay? Everyday people, okay, will become, in if they're trying to become an influencer, will become massive social media icons just by posting cool photos or making funny videos. They gain a massive following or audience that can that can that they can influence uh, through the use of their preferred channel. So, for example, if they're posting a lot of photos, maybe they're using Instagram. Bloggers, okay, podcast hosts can also become influencers if their audience gets big enough and they can tell their people to go out and buy something or they can endorse a product that they use themselves and have their interest, have their interested audience go out and buy one for themselves. So I'm sure we've had a couple of conversations in our Discord about some people that went and they're like, hey, how do I quickly spin up a website? And they go to Webflow and it's because we mentioned Webflow in our thing. Now we're not an affiliate of Webflow currently, but that's still, that's still, we still influence somebody to go at least check out Webflow and now they're aware of Webflow and we've, We've spoken in their ear. Hey, look, this thing called Webflow, this is how it works, etc. So those type of things. Now, some of the most common influencers, okay, the influencer types, because I've kind of ripped through a bunch of them, in my opinion, are YouTubers. Those are big. You know, the person that's in the video is the brand. You know, Linus is, is of Linus Tech Tips is an influencer, of course. Um, many popular, you know, Twitter personalities, those type of things. And Instagram stars. Instagram is a big one these days. A lot of photos, a lot of videos going around out there. Uh, IGTV, all the rest of it, those are influencers to me anyway. But like I said, podcast hosts and bloggers also just naturally become influencers as they go. Now, many influencers, and here's this point I was going to talk on. It's actually in this segment. So many influencers uh, utilize multiple channels, okay, to maximize their reach. So for example, um, they're famous for their YouTube videos. You know, they've been making comedy videos or something for years, and they're famous for that. That's how they got their following. Now they use that fame on YouTube to build a Twitter and an Instagram following, and then maybe they just do a podcast as well. H3 is a prime example of this. I don't know what their social media order was, right? But in general, they got famous. H3, H3 Productions got famous on YouTube for doing comedy videos and stuff like that. As a result, they started doing a podcast. They used, they used that to build another channel or two for their H, for the H3 podcast on YouTube. Obviously, the, it's a podcast, so it's also all over on RSS and stuff like that. And that fame on YouTube also translated into big Instagram and big Twitter followings. And this is how you can kind of move your audience around. If you get, so I don't know what the, what the H3 order was, but hypothetically, if you were big in YouTube and you tell people to follow your Twitter, a slow trickle of people will follow your Twitter over, you know, slowly over time. That'll they'll move over again. That's that action thing. You're getting people to do another action, so it's hard to get that. But you'll slowly get people to go into your Twitter. Your Twitter will go, will blow up. Now you can communicate to a bunch of people, and you can say, "Hey guys, you know." Let's go on to, like, I don't know, my YouTube got banned. Let's all, like, sign up for my RSS feed, subscribe to my podcast. And then now you can trickle people into your podcast. This is sort of how you move your audience around. It's also how you become famous everywhere, for example. So you are you gain a bunch of Twitter followers. You now have a bunch on there. You're now an influencer on Twitter as a result of your YouTube. But there's some people who really don't use YouTube and they only really use Twitter. They might find you now because you're big on Twitter and now you've just gained another piece of the audience, another piece of your audience. So this is how this snowball effects really goes because you're famous everywhere. You're all over the place. Now, many uh, now online influencers monetize, okay, to touch on this, monetize via traditional traditional ads so you know there's pre-roll ads and 
in video ads on YouTube, for example, but also sponsored posts. So a company may pay you to make a specific Instagram post about their product and you have to like say a certain thing in the caption or maybe give a little review on it. So that's, that's another thing as well. Also giving talks is a big one. So giving talks at events or conferences or webinars, etc. That's also a really big one. Probably the biggest one from what I've he- what I hear from influencers, those pay a fair bit because you usually have to travel and you have to go and talk to a bunch of people and like they're getting a bunch of ticket money because people are paying to go to the said conference or event. So that's a really big one too. And there's again, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial innovation. There's a bunch of ways to monetize out there. Just kind of whatever, if you want to become an influencer and you see a way like, Hey, I'm just going to monetize via Patreon because people seem to work. That works for me. There's a little bit of entrepreneurial innovation for you. Everything's free. Go on Patreon if you want. For example, I don't know if that's, if that's your thing. Again, your market, your decision, you know, Papa John's, whatever. So moving on. Um, I think I'm going to move on to segment number three. Unless Mike has any comment about influencers. Yeah, I think influencers is probably one of the most important ones because like, like, like you said, Matt, it kind of ties everything together. It, it, you generate your own brand and you use that brand to help people that are like-minded make decisions. Um, because we're all looking like when I, when I want to buy a, I don't know, a mattress, for instance, uh, it's not really in my category of what, what I know, but if I'm going to buy a mattress, I'm going to look online and look for, you know, someone that knows a lot about mattresses and they had built a brand big enough that I can find them online and follow their, maybe their affiliate link, maybe their review, whatever, and buy that mattress. Uh, it also works in a way for your own internal community because everyone has kind of their core fans and people that are part of their community. Like if you're a web developer uh, there's a lot of us, you know, shout out to our Discord server that talk a lot about web development. And if, let's say, someone in there recommends something to someone about, you know, for instance, like Matt was saying with Webflow, we've recommended Webflow. Uh, it's a good product. We like using it. We don't, we're not affiliated right now. We could be in the future, but it's, it's a, it's a good recommendation. That's a big thing about influencing. Don't, when you're getting into influencing, don't treat it like, oh, I'm just here to make money. You got to make sure that you're giving good advice and good decisions based on some of your own research and some of your own, uh, you know, trial and error. You're giving that expertise that you've developed to someone else, uh, sometimes for free, sometimes for money, whatever, because you you put effort into it. Like the, the Webflow decision wasn't an easy one for us. Matt had to go in and spend a ton of time working with Webflow. And we had some back and forth on if Webflow is good, if Webflow is bad, but we did all that work. Matt did a lot of it. And now he can wholeheartedly recommend Webflow for certain things. And he knows what things to recommend for. Like if someone comes to Matt and asks for a recommendation to build a, you know, a massive platform site that's going to be hosting like, you know, the amount of content that YouTube's hosting, he's not going to recommend Webflow for you because it just doesn't fit that bracket. But if someone comes, comes to him and be like, hey, I need a, you know, a really basic website that works really well, that's responsive, and I just need to get it up quickly and, you know, move stuff around visually, like I'm more of a visual person, then Webflow is a good solution. So um, that's just one example, but treat your audience really well, and you'll be treated really well for it too, in my opinion. And I think like that's the main, that's the best, best thing about being an influencer or being someone that's constantly online or whatever is be having those interactions with people and, getting to know your audience and getting to know the, that core group because that core group is just really cool people that are usually very like-minded to you because that's why they've attached to your, you know, brand. 
Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good way to put it. Um it's like the it, it it's a big it's a big entrepreneurial world out there on the internet, I think. It's basically almost like a a, clo- a closing note before my general notes, if you will, based on your comments too is it's a big entrepreneurial world out there. And at the end of the day, no matter what it is, whether you're a big company in real life and in a retailer or you're working online, you need an audience of sorts. And so you need to be able to influence people just in general. Um, you know, having a big, I don't know, what's a store out there, uh, uh, having a big, uh, radio shack, let's just use a closed store, having a big radio shack, for example, back in the day that used to commend even like, cause I remember buying stuff at radio shack that used to commend a name. It'd be like, damn, like I'm, go- you know, I gotta go to radio shack. I need to buy this electrical component. I'm going to radio shack. I want to buy a radio or something, right? That used to commend and influence that brand used to influence people. And if radio shack was still around today. I'm sure that they would be trying to do different things. Maybe a Radio Shack podcast or something like that. It's just the influencer game has always been there. It's always been there. It's just now online has made it blow up. And there's just a lot of different ways to do it, of course. You know, if if VR takes off and some people live their life in VR, there's going to be ways to make money in VR. And there's going to be influencers in VR. That's just literally the way it's going to be. And it's just it's just because the the internet is a is a still a relatively new tool, you know, stores have been around for years, hundreds of years. And now we have a new way to do online business and or a new way to do business online. So this is why everything seems like it's exploding and it's kind of because it is, but not for a not because everything's going to be, you know, the dot com bubble that popped, it's because everyone everyone since the dawn of time has been an influencer. Imagine being way back in the day, you're the only general store in in a small town. You've just influenced those people to come to you because they don't want to go to the next town on their like horse and buggy. Like literally that's, that's influencing people. You have a big store. Like if you didn't have any store sign, they didn't know it was a general store. You're not influencing them, but you have this big old store sign up there. General store. That's an influence. It's just that simple. It's just a matter of the, the term influencer is changing. And that's just the way it is because there's a new way to do business. So I'll move on now to segment number three. Uh, general note slash advice. So this is just some things that have popped into my head that I didn't really want to, you know, fit into a particular category and stuff that I kind of wanted as a footnote for the show before the web news. So um, it's important to note that making money online is a job. You know, we, we make it sound in, like easy, like, ah, oh, get an audience, you know. Yeah, that's nice. That That's all we write it on paper, but that's, you know, it is a grind. It is just a grind the way it is. And it can take a really long time. So Mike and I, like uh, obviously with this podcast, we see up and downs and because of this whole COVID thing, you know, wiped out 20% of our numbers per episode, you know, approximately, you know, that's just the way it is. It's a grind. It's a job. Sometimes we have slow months at digital dynasty design. Sometimes we have really quick months. Sometimes some days we don't hear anything. Some weeks we don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden every day for a month, we get, you know, nailed by something. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's not. It's a job. It's a grind. That's the way it is. Uh, now, certainly, some people can make money very rapidly online, as I'm sure, as we've already said, you know, with those advertised numbers, those are very headlineable numbers, if you will. But they get super lucky, or they go viral. And usually, you know, luck and virality is goes hand in hand. Uh, sometimes people can kind of like hijack the algorithm or stuff like that. And certainly that helps maybe to get in front of a few more eyeballs. But to go truly, truly viral, you have to be lucky. You have to have the camera rolling at the right time. You have to publish it at the right time. It has to be seen by the right people and has to be shared by the right people. That's generally how, you know, virality works. If you have any other comments on how to like hijack an algorithm or something, of course, let us know in our discord or something like that. Because as far as I know, that's the only way to go viral. Now, um, 
Alternatively, uh, you if you know how to uh, to play the online marketing game uh, very well, and you know this is touching on the 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 algorithm part of the thing. So if you know how to play the online marketing game very well and know how to get your your content, your product, your service, whatever it is in front of as many eyeballs as possible, you can do those sort of hacks, if you will. SEO is sort of like a hack, right? It's sort of like your you, Google didn't come out and say, hey, everybody, you guys should have this in your headline. Google just changes the algorithm and the SEO specialists learn how it goes because they have their ear to the industry and they basically become a consultant to you. And they basically say like, you know, you need to have this, this, this. Certainly there's some rules of thumb, like, you know, the title needs to be this long, but there's no one telling you how long or what, what, what the text of the description should be. And the text of the description might be number one Google searchable today and might be number 400 searchable tomorrow. So that's, you know, it's just that hack. It's that way people are figuring it out because people are listening to the online thing and they're freelancers themselves. They're freelancing SEO skills because they're interested in online marketing, for example. Now, online entrepreneurs also benefit immensely from innovation, as I've stated over and over and over again in this episode. If you have a great idea for monetizing or marketing something, short of doing something illegal, just give it a try. Usually the the cost to entry is literally nothing minus the computer that you probably already have, or, you know, it might be very little. You know, you can have a $5 budget on on Facebook to get it in front of a few hundred people, and it might just work perfect for your market or your niche that you're trying to advertise in. You don't know. And so you should give it a try. Give it a go. Who cares? It's five, ten bucks. If that's going to sink you, you didn't have a business to begin with. That sounds really negative, but it's true. If you don't have, if, if, if you're, if you're so scared of spending five dollars, you have to, like, you have to deal with that somehow. You know, there is a cost to entry for some things. And on the internet, it's often very low or oftentimes free. Now, always, always do a lot of research when it comes to signing up for services. So things like blog platforms or those paid survey sites, as we already mentioned, make sure that you check and see if it's right for you. Don't take that marketing material, you know, make a thousand dollars a day at face value. Don't take that at face value. Take a note of it, but always actually look at real testimonials, actual reviews, there's, if it's a popular service, there's going to be a blogger that's done it and he's going to be talking to you about it. Read those blogs, read customer experiences on review sites and try to find other sites. So if it's, I don't know, surveys.com or something, I don't know. Let's just say, hypothetically say there's a site called surveys.com. You're interested in it. Go elsewhere to find those reviews. Certainly read their site and, you know, read their stuff and everything's great to see if it's good for you. And then go and research elsewhere. You don't want to be have everything to be curated to, you know, surveys.com. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's a real site, but I don't know. I've never been there. So, you know, I'm sorry if you run it or something. Now, uh, don't be scared of trying a few different things at once, but also keep in mind that you don't want to overwhelm yourself. So... I already mentioned that you kind of want to be everywhere, but if you, let's say, want to learn Instagram and Twitter really well, you want to know the algorithms, you want to know what to post, when to post, all the rest of it, you know, go ahead. Try to learn them, those two at the same time. But you know, to try to learn every single social media in depth isn't going to work too well. You can always phase things out. So phase one, do Twitter and Instagram, and then in phase two, learn LinkedIn. Now, that doesn't mean you don't, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't make the accounts. If you want to be an influencer and you want it to go on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, let's say those are the, the places you've chosen, and you only wanted to learn those the, the two first, Instagram and Twitter, I would say absolutely make the LinkedIn account and just make general posts, but don't pay much attention to them. Make general posts, you know, do your do your hashtags and stuff like that. But if you're really trying to learn the algorithms and stuff like that for your influencer, you know, job or whatever you're trying to do, 
If you're really trying to learn them, learn those two that you, the Instagram and the Twitter first, and then actually pay attention to LinkedIn later, for example. Now, some people will say LinkedIn is the big thing right now and you're getting tons of organic views. Go do LinkedIn. Absolutely. Whatever you decide to go to go for first. Absolutely. I'm just giving this as a pure example. Don't overwhelm yourself because you're not going to remember. You're not going to be able to realize or to fully realize the potential of your reach on a particular social media platform unless you learn that platform really well and you can't learn them all really well all at once there's too many they're too different it's just ridiculous i think another uh another just general note that i want to end with here is consistency is key uh whatever you're doing uh it's important to kind of just you know do it consistently if you're blogging and you want to you know Write an article, write an article a week or something like that. Maybe an article every two weeks if you can't do a week. But keep on that consistent schedule for yourself and for your new audience that you're building. Because as soon as an audience sees that you're on some sort of random schedule or you're not doing something, uh, they're going to leave you and go to somewhere else. And you're not going to – you're going to decelerate your growth very quickly. So if you're doing a podcast, you know, release weekly. Uh, try to release twice a week because the more, the more, the more, the merrier kind of thing. The same thing with a blog. If you're freelancing, you know, freelance every day, do, you know, sit down and try to find jobs. Uh, the first few you might have to do for very little money, but you need to get your name out there on these big sites if you're going to be doing freelancing. Um, so just, you know, grind away at it and then consistently do it. Cause as soon as you, you know, let your foot off the gas and, you know, take a week or two off, you're, you're going to lose that deceleration. It's going to be really hard for not only your motivation to start back up, but for your audience to continue to listen to what you have to say. That's a really good point. Uh, actually, is a lot of people don't realize some like a lot of people don't realize that consistency is such a big, a bit, such a big piece. They just think that each piece of each piece of you know each post, for example, is going to be a, a piece all its own. And while while some industries require less frequent things, like sometimes. If you're writing really in-depth blog posts, obviously you can't write one a day. But in terms of you know different different things like Facebook or Twitter posts, realistically, I know I know I know we're not doing it, but realistically, we should be posting once, if not more times per day, if we really want to learn it, right? But our podcast is is consistent. Something just late or something like that. But in reality, you know, you can rely on this thing coming out on Wednesday, and chances are we'll be up, whether it be right at noon, um, which I find out, which I found there's a weird time zone problem, but you know, it'll be out on Wednesday. 90% of the time and then 10% of the time it'll be out on the Thursday and then we'll have some weeks off for holidays which will be announced generally so I don't, and I don't even think we did that this year so no, I think we had one week the whole year yeah really yeah I think it was Christ, like, Christmas because I think Christmas yeah. landed right on the podcast so like yeah. obviously like too bad <laughs> but uh I think that concludes the episode short of web news so Mike another quarantine-esque web news take it away sir yeah absolutely uh stress reducing for this web news i think everyone everyone's kind of in the same situation where because of the situation because of the quarantine because of covid19 we're all getting just extremely stressed really quickly sometimes like sometimes you'll just be doing something normally and then like you'll just maybe think of a situation that's being affected like your you know your work life's being affected your home life's being affected every part of your life essentially is being affected by what's going on right now in the world and that can be very stress inducing so i want to take a moment to kind of give you an idea of how i deal with my stress right now and then maybe matt you'll chime in with your with your ways of de-stressing 
um, if you have them. But yeah, so what, <laughs> what I, does that mean? Does that mean I'm always stressed? What's you're that just mean? always, always panicking. Yeah. So what I do to avoid stress is exercise, mostly just like going for walks outside or working out at home. Usually it gives me like a little bit of a euphoric experience after, like I just feel better after. Um, during, I kind of, I'm focused on the exercise, so that helps too. And also playing games, single player and co-op games specifically. Uh, I get pretty stressed when I play online multiplayer games and stuff like that. So I try to avoid those right now because, you know, I can get stressed over anything at this point. I don't want to bring in another situation that's going to stress me out regardless. Um, I do some reading. Uh, I just read like, you know, fantasy fiction books for the most part right now. Like usually I'll, I'll, usually in normal times, I'll be reading some sort of like business book or development book or something like that alongside another like for fun book. But now I'm just dropped all that like extracurricular reading and just reading for fun just to just to relax because I have enough work as it is during the day and enough stress. Um, and then the other thing just to keep my mind occupied, but not really concentrated is I just rewatch sitcoms. I think Matt, you talked about this while you were working. Uh, I just do it now just to mindlessly not even think I just rewatch the office or how I met your mother or something, something that doesn't require me to think. And that helps me avoid stress. There's other stuff, but mostly that's what I've been kind of doing uh, with the move. Now, I've been really busy with like, you know, rearranging furniture, building IKEA stuff. So building that 200 screw IKEA beds. Yeah. Good lord. Yeah, that kind of helps keep my mind off of it. Not that IKEA particularly helped me avoid stress, but <laughs> the stuff that I avoid, like I said, is multiplayer competitive games, so no like COD or anything. That stuff pisses me off to no end. Like I'll play it sometimes, but it just makes me angry. Uh again, I'm going to say it, building IKEA furniture, <laughs> that's really complicated. <laughs> God damn. Like you can't have a hundred screws in a bed, but apparently they do. Uh reading the news. I, I avoid reading the news for the most part. I'll keep in I'll keep in line with what's going on in my country, in Canada, with how they're treating everything, but I've stopped kind of going to like I've stopped going to world news on Reddit. I've stopped going I've stopped just searching like global news because uh, I think Matt, you were mentioning before, like they'll just take a number and then they'll use that number as their headline, oh, yeah. just to scare people. And like, I don't have time to read every article, so I just get scared. And, and they'll re-report like and, over and over and over again. The situation really hasn't changed by much, but they'll be, they'll say like sixty new cases or something, and then yeah. they'll also have an article that day where they'll say something like, "This is what we know about the sixty new cases." And you're like, "Oh damn!" Like shit, like shit's changing. Like yeah, so I'll keep my eye out for like. Uh, the government website. So there's a government website in Canada that keeps you updated with how many cases there are, what are the new policies in place and stuff like that. So I'll keep my eye on that for the most part. And I have one other website that I actually check out and that is COVID19recovery.net. It was made by some developers and that is essentially only designed to show the good news that's coming out with COVID. So like the, you know, what vaccines are being worked on. What treatments are being worked on? What are the good news? Like what, what countries are coming out of it currently? Stuff like that. Like it's, it doesn't sugarcoat anything, but it also doesn't just, it doesn't report any of like, you know, 900 people died yesterday or something. It doesn't report that. It just reports like what's coming out of like, what's the positives out of this whole thing? Like these many people got better yesterday or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to actually put that website in the show notes. I didn't have it before. So, uh, so people check it out. It actually does. Relax me a little bit, uh, just checking that every once in a while because it'll show like, for instance, Italy had less deaths than it had in the last like two months a couple days ago. So that's good. 
Like that means that something's good. Like something is, you know, moving forward at least. Stuff like that. I just need reminders that this isn't going to last forever, essentially. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will say that, that I, I tune into like worldo meters and that's like depressing. It's just the whole mm-hmm. world. Yeah. I mean, it like whatever. And then uh, I actually, there is a COVID-19 app for Canada as well. Uh, so we you go. could do that, but I don't, I don't actually do anything anymore. Uh, sometimes I'll check it at random. I'll be like, oh, let's get depressed and I'll go and watch it. But that's yeah. how I do it. Only, only when you want to get depressed. Yeah. And then I avoid future planning because right now, like, what's the point? <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> Holy no, but like, crap, not, that's ridiculous. Like, ah, not, who cares? Not in like a depressive or anything way, but like, I don't know what the future is going to look like. We don't know what's going to happen a week from now. Like, every day stuff is changing. Oh, yeah, rapidly. like we could, like, like who knows? Be... It could be evacuated at some point. Who knows? Like, exactly. Well, I mean, I hope not. But like, who knows? Like, who knows? They could, the they could evacuate like. the, yeah. like, like, no one said this, but like, who knows? They could take you out of the the, the population centers to try to spread out the population if things go out of control. Like, I don't know. Sure, something. Like, I don't if know. It's, if it's that crazy. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. Like we we don't we don't know so anyway like I don't think there's a point to like really concentrate on your future right now I think you just got to stay in the present and get through it and ride it out day at a time um yeah like I try not to look at the the economy because I know like that it's going to be a drastic change all that all that all come like once we start recovering stuff gets opened that's when I can start going in and looking at the future again because stuff will stabilize but. Other than that, like, I, I just don't see a point during the epicenter of this whole situation to really start, like, looking at the future. Like, what am I going to do in a month? Like, where where should I save money and stuff like that? No. I'm just going to live day by day and, uh, you know, do my work, do do all my stuff that I do to de-stress, uh, get my life together and all that. That's all that matters. And the other thing I avoid is doing nothing. Because whenever I do nothing and I'm just sitting there doing nothing, I just start panicking and stressing out about the whole situation. So those are my kind of tips. Uh, avoid doing those. Do the stuff that I do to avoid stress or do whatever, uh, you know, helps you to avoid stress. But definitely treat yourself a little bit better during this time. Like don't treat it like at any other time is my suggestion. Uh, take out those stress-inducing things that you would normally be doing to better yourself. Rather do the stuff that uh, would help you avoid stress that's that's my suggestion. I don't know about I don't know what your your plan is and what you do, Matt, but take it away. Uh well, 100% I do abide by the take the data time approach. I absolutely will plan certain things uh online mostly. Like I'll plan certain things out. Like oh, we're going to build this, we're going to do that for work. Oh, I'll do this on, you know, my personal podcast, stuff like that. Absolutely. I'll still keep those up because I kind of need those to keep my morale up is some future planning in those regards, but it'll be things that aren't in person. So the in-person things are what's, you know, the problem right now. So I'm just basically contextualized if they, if that's a word, uh, what I plan. It's all, it's all can be done by, you know, via quarantine and that's sort of, or in quarantine and that's sort of where I sit. Uh, I also, I also will play a fair bit of video games. So a lot of people are home now. So it's been like a bit of a renaissance for people where they can no longer say like, oh, I'm too busy to play. They're home at, at home playing. So I've been playing a lot of games actually with people online. Um, possibly why I'm losing track of time uh, because I just want to like play this, this play with this person late, play with this person early. Then I work in the regular day. Sometimes I'll work late if no one's on, but I'll you know go online early with somebody if they're on. I'm just trying to take advantage of the fact that there's people home, and I'm like I'm at it, it's one of those things where I'm taking advantage. 
of the quarantine. The quarantine is giving me a, a good thing, if you will, a good like social opportunity. And so I'm taking advantage of it as much as possible. Obviously, sometimes I'm working like you know, some people were telling me to do stuff now. Like, obviously, I'm doing this, you know, obviously. But um, I'm just trying to take advantage and, and you know, see like, hey, look, like, you know, the high school crew's back together and online for the first time in years. Some people bought consoles and they didn't have them before. Let's all jump online and I'll do that, you know. Um, because that's a good thing that the quarantine brought along. So th- that's one of the things, um, avoiding news. I've been avoiding news the last couple of days. That's, that's good. I've been doing that. Um, but what's about, I, I was thinking while you were talking and I was, I, I know I mentioned in the earlier thing that I was like scared that I was depressed because I was, I was like, I just don't care anymore. I actually think the, uh, the quarantine is the result, but I think it's a little bit different. So what I think, cause I, went into deep thought for those like minute that like minute was I wonder if it's because when everything was up and running okay when everything was up and running the world was normal everything was fine and you know hurry for our lives um we I would like stress over stuff going wrong and now that the world is on fire figuratively I realize that I like there's still stuff going wrong there's still things happening there's still things going on but so much has failed on people. Like people are out of work. People are out of everything. And yet the world just keeps going that I now don't care. And I don't know whether that's a good thing to be honest. Uh, but it helps me. Like, I just think to myself like, well, you know, this went down, but yell at me. I don't care. (laughs) I don't know. You can make it a good thing. I think you can make it a good thing. In my opinion, I think that, Having that perspective that, you know, the world moves on regardless of your whatever, like that that little thing happened that pissed you off. Yeah. I think that like using that as a way to just move forward and continue on and grind through the day and not get cycle like, you know, focused on it is is a positive. I think I think you should treat it as a positive. That That's what that's what I'm going to say. I don't think I don't think it's a depression thing. I think it's literally a you gaining perspective on the situation thing. Yeah, like I'm just realizing that even though the world has collapsed figuratively again, the world is still going, if that makes sense. And so, like, I, you know, another thing, actually, another perspective is this, is it's like, if the world was, was blowing up and and we were totally safe, you would, you know, keep an ear to the events of the world, but you wouldn't be freaking out. If someone close to you suddenly were to get sick with this coronavirus you would then turn your ear off to the world or or you know maybe just listen a little and you would be focused on your family member or your friend getting the treatment they needed and you know whatever and so the way i'm thinking of it is it's like if because there's a situation in which i'm i will be alerted if someone gets sick and because in that situation i will then be turning the world news off is the world news that important to me and the answer to that is no i don't like if if all of country x you know to make it neutral if all of country x gets the coronavirus and they have a 50% death rate or something crazy that and, and and Canada just has a 1% or something that 50% doesn't affect me. It sucks for them, but I mean, short of short of Canada saying we need to ship all our people over to country X, I'm not going to worry about it. Right. It sucks for them, of course, but you know, that's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, so a lot, a lot of games, um, I've been, I've been doing, uh, a fair bit of video watching while, uh, doing, doing work, uh, well, which I've always done. Um, I am a hundred percent better as I've already stated at dealing with, uh, have to hectic situations. I now just, I now let, 
this is weird. I now let the panic settle over. So I go like, okay, I'm freaking out about this. And I kind of let it settle. And then I go, okay, now let's deal with it. Because I can get, I have to deal with this anyway. So, and I just sort of like let the emotion go. I re- I acknowledge it existed and then I just go. Whereas instead I'm like panicking the whole time, right? I'm like holding on to it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That That's sort of how, I, I, it's, almost, it's weird. It's like a lot of people are having a lot of trouble with being closed in. And I've. I feel like I'm mentally healthier in a way, which I was scared is, which I still am scared is like, is that depression? I don't know. It's weird. Like I'm more level headed. Like I wake up and go like, Oh, there goes something else. Like there it goes. I think we're just more set up for this. Like I, I feel not exactly the same way, but I feel like I do have that. We have a leg up on the situation because of our jobs, because of what we've been doing. Like, it's just that it, we have a different experience than most people that work the nine to five. You know what I mean? So we are going to treat it different. Like it's going to be just a different experience for us. So I think we should be happy about that. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I'm still and hope uh, that. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. And hope, hope that the situation is over soon because it still sucks. Like it's oh, still yeah, it's bad. You know, yeah. It's like most everything is bad, but at least we have a leg up on the situation. And hopefully out there, listeners, you have a leg up too. Like if you're, you know, in the web development career or you're thinking about getting into it, this is a good time, I would say, to really, you know, push forward and get into it. But yeah, I don't know. One other thing I do do, actually, and this will lead to, I think, an important point, especially for people who maybe are more extroverted, is, uh, well, ha- having phone calls with people, video calls in particular, uh, help quite a bit. I've done a few, uh, quite a few of them now, especially with my girlfriend. I'll like video call her, of course. Uh, but one thing that her and I are doing is we are, we are future planning, like just things we want to do. So, but stuff that isn't time sensitive. So if we're like, Hey, like we've never been to this little town. Cause she likes checking out little towns and stuff. So it's like, Hey, let's look at this area. The geography of that area ain't going to change. So whether we go in 2021 or we go in two months, it doesn't matter. Realistically, it just, it'll be different clothing we wear. You know, the hotels and stuff are all still going to be there. And so if we're like, oh, let's do a weekend. Okay, well, let's plan a couple of weekends and not have a date for them. And so that gives us like an out where we're like, oh, let's check this out. Let's check that out. And it leads to a lot of conversations and a lot of, you know, research and stuff like that. And it, and so I feel like extroverted people might benefit from that where they're not planning on going like, let's go to this thing in June. And then they get disappointed because you know, June rolls around and maybe things aren't better and that thing is still closed. Instead, I'm just like, hey, let's go check out this small town. The town's still going to be there in 10 years. It's like a 100-year-old town or something, you know? So, that's it. So, I don't know. That that seems to help me a lot. Um, and I will say that there are times where I just, like, I'm just anxious, but I know it's because of the situation. Like, it's almost like a grief grip, if you will. And I find just, like, video calling or um, letting that emotion pass is a big one for me nowadays. I think it's just me being like, well, this sucks. And then I, it just like slowly goes away instead of fighting it and being like, no, I want to feel good right now. I just be like, no, whatever. Like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I think that, I think all those are, that's good advice and good perspective on what we're feeling. And hopefully it helps people process their emotions um, and their thoughts. So yeah, I think, I think we, yeah, we wrapped it up pretty good there. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's sort of the end of the end of the web news there, end of the episode. So, 
you know, uh, running the old conclusion here. So thank you for listening. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can also follow us on those socials via at HTML All the Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. We're also on Twitter via at HTML Everything. Uh, we're on Medium and we're on GitHub. And I think we actually passed 200 Twitter followers, if I remember correctly. So that's pretty good. Um, or at least we're close to it. Anyway, uh, remember we're on also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML all the, t- all the things. Uh, check out the tiers. Give that a go. And uh, many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. And DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on, and we are signing off. Yeah.